Just a quick word from our affiliates before we jump into the episode. SafePoint Loan Working App is a really simple way for you to manage loan working. Utilising what three words to get you pinpoint accuracy on the location of your people when you really need it. Get yourself a discount using the link and code in the description of this episode. Let's jump into today's podcast. What's up guys, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. In this week's podcast, we're talking all about the risks of COVID and all the other risks that we've got to manage in our businesses because it's just, you can't keep up with all this stuff, can we? Um, and, and people are kind of like propping fire doors open to reduce um, touch points, you know, is that okay? Yeah, well, what else are we supposed to do? You know, you're kind of cut between a, caught between a rock and a hard place at the moment, aren't we? So we're gonna have a conversation around that, we're gonna have a conversation around the HSE and, and loads of other stuff. For now, let's jump into the intro. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. Weird and oppressive regime of health and safety regulations. Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent and your host, James McPherson. What's up guys? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety does exactly what it says on the tin. We are here to challenge those perceptions. We are here to challenge those practices of health and safety gone mad. That's what we do. And we do that by providing in-depth conversations on the podcast in long form, so an hour long-ish. And we do that by providing two tips and tubes and chips and blah, 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 blah. we do that by providing tips and tricks etc on the youtube channel as well so if you listen on a podcast go check out youtube if you listen on youtube go check out the podcast this is the last panel so for the last four weeks we have been doing a covid panel on rebranding safety which is myself james mcpherson rebranding safety we've got christian harris from from Slip Safety Services and I cannot speak today. Decontamination Cleaning UK, David McLean from DRM Group and Jonathan Dempsey from Red Laces. We've created a little panel to just kind of chew the fat essentially around coronavirus and all this stuff that's going on. Um, And today is the last weekly panel. So as you probably know, if you're a regular here, we've been doing a weekly panel that's replaced our previous content. We wanted to cover the lockdown. Now the lockdown has obviously been extended. So we have decided that this will be the last one and that we will go to a monthly panel where we would, could talk about anything, not necessarily COVID anymore, just a monthly panel, which I think would be nice. I think it would bring us a bit of variety, a bit of uh, diversity to the comment. Also, to the comment, to the content. Also, I've got like some really good interviews that I want to put out to your your listening ears and, and give to you. And at the moment, I feel greedy that only I've listened to it. 
So that's the other reason. With that change, we'll be, we will be going back to every Monday, not every Friday. The reason we did change the panel stuff to Friday was because we wanted to stay relevant to the kind of guidance. We didn't want to record on the Friday and then Bojo comes on on the Monday and says we're, we're changing everything, um, just in case we did reference anything. So that was why we changed it to Friday. So now we're going to go back to the Monday stuff. Um, I'm not going to commit to doing the panel in a month's time. Um, we will wait and see. And so watch this space. So in this week's episode, we're talking about kind of managing the risks of COVID and the, the, all the other risks during COVID as well, like fire and stress and cleanliness and whether that's going to change how we look at risk going forward. It's going to change how we look at mental health and, and cleaning, etc. Because all of this kind of lockdown and coronavirus has really kind of opened the lens on everything, hasn't it? Which is interesting. Um, so we're going to talk about those as well. We'll talk about the HSE's reaction briefly in the beginning and the that we have a brief discussion about Riddle and you know just loads of stuff so these panels I've thoroughly enjoyed them but I would love to know if you've enjoyed them so please comment below if you've enjoyed these panels you want to see more and let us know what you want us to discuss in the next one as well so without further ado let's get into the government guidance and the NHS guidance for coronavirus you should only be leaving the house for one of four reasons shopping for basic necessities, for example, food, medicine, and that must be as infrequent as possible. One form of exercise a day, for example, a run, walk or a cycle, alone or with members of your household. You can leave the house for any medical needs or provide care to or help to a vulnerable person. And you can travel to and from work, but only where this can absolutely not be done from home. And it is important that whilst you are doing these for one of four reasons, you must maintain social distancing as well. Two meters, people, come on, we're British. We don't like talking to each other anyway, so we can maintain two meters away from each other. Make sure you do it, please listen. Please, please, please pay attention to it. And if you need any further guidance, we've linked all the government and the NHS um, guidance below and even the BBC's coronavirus podcast, which I found quite interesting, down in the description below. We've also linked all the websites to the three gentlemen that are on the panel in the description below. So if you like what they're saying, you can go get all of those links. It's pretty much the... the the, must be the record breaking, rebranding safety record breaking of links below because there's just hundreds of them. Without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Yo! Hello, there he hey. is. Matching colours today, I see. Uh, British and Irish Lions, I like it. Somebody's missing yeah. the rugby. Un- unity, unified, we are as one. <laughs> Love it. Right, gentlemen, let, let's get straight into it then, because, as you know, we have a time limit on Zoom, as Mr. Dempsey found out last week, actually. <laughs> Just a, a quick, how are we all? So, Jonathan, how are you? Yeah, all good, thank you. All good. Good, good. Uh, Christian, how are you? I'm very well. Yeah, very well. Good. And David McLean, you, you look and sound like you're bouncing off the walls, mate. Are you okay? <laughs> I really am. <laughs> I am fantastic, yeah. Um, I've, lots of good business stuff happened uh, the last few days and um, it's all been going really, really well and I'm thoroughly enjoying lockdown. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'm the only person I've heard say that, but yeah, okay, cool. Um, 
we they got I don't know if it sounds echoey or not, but I've been relegated to the kitchen. The the ordering a desk and changing of uh, studio facade continues on. So well, I'm not in our new studio yet. My well, new studio. That sounds Something's like a really good. good. You are. Apologies, sorry. I'm just going to say the same quality is really good. You what? I still didn't. Hear, still didn't get what you said. <laughs> Sorry, I'm saying the sound quality is very good. You've been oh, mind. thank you. Well, obviously my sound quality is not very good. <laughs> no, <not> my accent <laughs> probably. Oh, right. Let's uh, let's get into this then. So well, we want to kind of just have a little chat today about all the all the other crap that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis that that still exists. All those other risks that still exist now that we're dealing with this unprecedented pandemic as everybody kind of is fed up of that saying you know there's all all those other all other stuff that's still there that may or may not have changed and then there's the stuff that exists that that is being directly impacted so the first thing that comes to my mind is like fire there's a lot of stuff coming up around that um but but before we get on to that i'd be interested to get probably all of your points actually um on what the HSC, so the HSC, uh, the regulator for health and safety, they confirmed last week that they're not relaxing any of the, of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Legislation. There we go. Of the requirements. So nothing's been relaxed. Everything's the same. Your legal duties are still the same. It didn't really surprise me at, at all, if I'm honest. Um, I couldn't imagine them re- re- relaxing anything and saying, hey, it's okay if you, you know, burn somebody alive or kill them in a lift because we're trying to deal with COVID. I don't know what, mm. what, what you guys <clears throat> thought about it. I think, uh, yeah, they had to take that decision. I think in reality, will they be a bit more pragmatic? I think they might. Um, mm. the, the other thing that's come out that I think is interesting, once we've... Um, heard from the guys on, on that point is actually this whole thing about riddle reporting of covid mm. uh, cases w- if there's any as i understand it, any slight chance that they may have got it at work you're supposed to be recording it as a riddle which seems a bit over the top yeah that's a good point actually i might come on to that jd what did what, what were your thoughts when you when you kind of saw that i wasn't really surprised were you not really i mean what, what else can they say i was actually surprised mm. that it took so long for the hsc to really get into any kind of news at all. There was a, I think, agreement last week between the GMB, the HSC and one or two others and I saw a joint statement that kind of said that they were all working together. Um, but really, the HSC has been pretty much silent on, on this whole thing. I think yeah, we, we talk a lot about kind of IOSH and, and not the safety profession and kind of a little bit silent, probably looking for some, like, the Institute of Directors, the HSC, and if you were them right out at the start, this is how we want you to work with it. Probably haven't seen but I think what we do is that there's there's less regulation happening. So even environmental health officers, you know, going food hygiene, health and safety in other local authority premises, there's less regulation around at the moment because people are having to focus on the essentials. I think the, the key thing though is for businesses that are focused on compliance, actually that's pretty yeah, now is to really understand how risk emerges and how risk is dynamic. So actually, the HSE coming out is only relevant if you're breaking the law, if you're willfully or neglecting not doing what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Actually, the HSE, HSE would not come out for routine inspection. They're only going to come out to serve a notice or take action if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. So, so to some extent, it's not really that relevant. If you're, you're, if you're caring for your customers and you're going out your business in the way that you should be, it kind of is news. Yeah. 
I think that's a very valid point. They did say that they were uh, they they were going to cut back on some of the um, the visits and stuff, didn't they? they, and they but they would still react to kind of major incidents. But yeah, it did. To, to be honest, you know, touch wood, I've I've actually never met HSE inspector in in their role. I've met a few that are not not kind of doing their job, but I've never had one touch on the door, knock on the door, sorry, ever. Which is interesting. Long may so, that continue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. So when they said, you know, oh, we're relaxing, you might not see us. I was like, oh, I ain't seen you for eight years, so it's <laughs> not going to impact think, me. Um, I think no. I think to be fair, that uh, the budget for um, the HSE has, has obviously, like many other government um, uh, departments, been been slashed or had been slashed after the mm. uh, GFC. So I think that the um, proactivity of their work you know has, has fallen off a bit of a cliff oh, anyway to be fair over the over the last few years yeah <clears throat> let's touch on that riddle piece then because uh, <clears throat> to be fair you know I, di- I didn't really think about talking about that but it is a valid point um so the riddle was kind of like you said you know if if it looks like because of an incident or as part of your operations you somebody has contracted or suspected to have contracted coronavirus from your operations or an incident, then you should report it as a riddle. And and my interactions over social and, and etc. have been one of, I would say, flapping around, panicking a little bit as to whether we should report something. And the, probably the best bit of advice, and maybe JD, this would be interesting to get your point on it, but the best bit of advice I was ever given for riddle was no one's gone to jail for reporting too many riddles. Granted, they might have because if they're reporting too many riddles, they're not managing safety. But that aside, you know, you, you don't get sent to jail for reporting riddle. You get you, but you could get sent to jail for not reporting a riddle. So just report it. Was was my kind of stance. Yeah. Just to clarify, you wouldn't get sent to jail for not reporting, but you could be fined a maximum of two thousand pounds. And if you were going to be prosecuted, that would come into it as well. I think mm. just to clarify, riddle is reporting of injuries, diseases, and dangerous occurrences, and so. Uh, the diseases are actually specified so actually within the schedule which diseases would be relevant that you need to report for actually there's a list of them and same as dangerous occurrences as well so i think it's a bit of a little bit of a misnomer but being being pragmatic you, know, you wouldn't expect to to that to be a work a, you know, a work related occupational disease it's not like occupational cancer or a dermatitis for a hairdresser that's using using substances on their on their hands and that kind of thing mm. is that you know, the actual number of riddles actually investigated are probably relatively low as well. Mm. Um, so even, even if and it, even if you yeah the statutory the statutory requirement is to report certain the riddle, <coughs> the the obligation to actually investigate them is, is not really there. Mm. So not every, not every mm. riddle. Well, my my advice would be to anybody you know if you think it's a riddle, then. And, and you're debating as whether it is or isn't, but but you think it is because coronavirus is mentioned and on on that list, then then just report it. Yeah, I think the the question from the, the perspective of of some of my clients uh, from the cleaning industry, for example, and FM companies, is that they're kind of outraged that it's being uh, said that it should be reported as a riddle because actually there's no way of prove. You know, if you have an accident at work then you know it's happened at work whereas with this it's impossible to prove where that person contracted the disease and therefore they're going to be having to do a lot of reporting which is potentially not 
correct or uh, it's going to be adding a lot of you know a load of uh, of admin and, and various other uh, things to them and also does it then open the can of worms of claims and various other things happening in the future for incidents uh, which obviously are re regrettable and, and nobody wants the any of their colleagues to have the disease but you know is it necessarily their fault you know does that mean it's potentially a knee-jerk reaction then um, uh, from the government or from the HSE then Do, would you say that to get to make sure that it's, it's because it's such a big problem at the moment somebody needs to do it but does it go under the governance of a business or not I wonder whether I wonder whether it was partly a, a backhanded way to manage to encourage businesses to manage the the risk of coronavirus to encourage people to social yeah, distance to encourage businesses to to manage these risks um because you know let's be honest not every business is following the, the guidance as best they can um no. and there are some businesses that physically can't do that stuff and that that is fine but but i i wonder whether it was a backhanded way of doing it but my in my response to people that are uh, my response always to people that are kind of getting uppity about reporting riddles is like you know if if it comes to a point where the HSC get involved or you have a civil claim or something like that, there will always be a potential. Granted, civil is a little bit easier to, to win if you're the claimant, but there's always going to be some form of investigation. Um, so, you know, especially from a criminal HSE enforcement point of view, they will in investigate. Um, to be honest, we've got somebody that used to be a health officer and on the call. So <laughs> I assume JD, you'd be able to, to tell us how that actually works. Yeah, I mean, certainly from, and certainly in kind of leisure, hotel and leisure, which is where some Christians uh, find a lot of them are based as well. So, you know, like I say, in, in not all cases, not all cases will be investigated, but, you mm. know, a investigation would be undertaken by an environmental health officer who regulates health and safety in some premises with the same powers as a HSD inspector would have. And that, yeah, that would be following on what's actually put in the, the riddle notification and, and then a full investigation on, on the circumstances that happened. But it's worth noting that an investigation quite often starts with a thread and then it's following that thread so it's very sometimes a, a riddle might be a fairly let's say relatively low level but actually it opens up a, a whole um yeah a whole thread of, of, of how an organizations behave i think the when we're talking about uh, say the competent person you know not every organization every business will have a safety director or safety. you all need to have access to safety advice now whether that sometimes that might be outsourced and again you know, we can provide with that the people on the call can help with that um, and, and i think if you were to just send off if as an environmental health officer if i receive uh, say lots of riddles from an organization in relation to covid for me i'd be asking the question does that organization have access to competent advice because that that seems to me that a bit of a knee-jerk reaction they've seen some of the news they think they better send the, the reports in it probably sounds like they've not got competent advice they're not thinking things through so yes whilst you taking your initial point james that if you're not sure sending a riddle rather than don't to potentially get picked up on it i would probably caveat that with you know you should be this formed approach to it you know and certainly for a larger organization if a larger organization was sending in riddles when it really didn't seem appropriate to that in itself might be a bigger concern mm. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, and to be fair, most of the people that I'm coming across that are flapping about it are 
who I would call competent professionals. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, maybe I didn't make that clear, but yeah, I agree. I agree. Let's um, let's try and try and move on then. Uh, that was quite interesting chat actually. Thanks for bringing that up, Christian. Um, yeah. So, in it's quite interesting. I've just been on a on a kind of a conference call um, all about like capacity and safety too, which is which is like kind of engaging my brain. And I'm in I'm in that kind of safety two mindset at the moment, which I don't want. Well, I do want to be, but I'm just kind of interested in that. When I, when I, when I kind of think back to my recent engagements and and things that I've seen, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnection with with insurers and and the real world. Now, anyone that's listening to my podcast, I do give insurers, along with a lot of other big, big businesses, a hard time. Um, but I know the two gentlemen at the bottom of my screen work very closely with insurers and have previously spoke quite highly of them. Um, <clears throat> But I'll give you my the interaction I came across uh, on, on social media. So basically, a an insurer said, because of coronavirus, we're not going to carry out thorough inspections on your list. So those who don't know, thorough inspection is basically like a thorough inspection carried out by uh, the insurers normally. So a competent engineer that, that makes sure the lift, all the key components of the lift are working. It's a legal requirement under Lola, right? So you have to do it. So something goes wrong, right? And let's say there's a civil claim, right? Goes to your insurer. It's what your insurers say. Was the thorough inspection done? We're going to say no because you do our thorough inspection. You didn't send anyone out because of coronavirus. And then when we, when, and that, those are my kind of arguments. When we got down to the crux of it, it actually turned out that this was a capacity issue that, you know, that they were struggling to keep up before. And now they're really starting to struggle because people are going off, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know what you guys are hearing. Are you hearing any kind of tweak or, or ad- adaptation to how insurers are working or problems with insurance? I understand if they're your partners, you're probably not going to want to say too much. But <laughs> I, it's, I mean, they're, they're struggling. The businesses are struggling like like everybody is, and they're, they're trying to do their best. Now, there is, there is a, a legal aspect to this, and I certainly won't get into that and, and the potential ramifications of what you just said there. Who knows what would come from that? and probably quite a complex case eh, actually but um what i would say is that the vast majority of businesses and certainly the insurers and insurance brokers that i work with eh, are good companies and they still want to do the right thing and they want to be able to do the right thing mm. and as you know and and i don't blame the government for this and there's a lot of gray areas in terms of what you should be doing and where you should be doing because they don't have all the answers and also sometimes there isn't an answer because the example you just gave there Although eventually it came down to potentially it's because they're understaffed and and now they're very understaffed or whatever it may well be. Um, There's issues there, um, obviously, but actually there's there's often times when there there isn't a clear answer and there's going to be grey areas. And uh, if businesses can do as much as they can do, if they can be pragmatic in what what they can um, and that they are fully staffed, etc., to be left at that to an extent I feel there's also <clears throat> sorry go on so the one thing I'd add to that and I think you're right there aren't like business life there are not always straightforward answers or, or black and white the bit of advice I would add is that always document the decisions and the rationale that were taken mm. at the, and the prevailing circumstances so whoever uh, this is this is what's best really should be 
the board level at the C-suite or the, the senior part of an organization because this needs to sit with how is a business going to approach it, get the best advice that you can, agree what the rationale is, and then record what the circumstances were and why you took the decisions you did. So that if anything was to happen later, and this might not necessarily be about an incident, it might not be an incident, but it might be something that potentially affects the reputation or the brand or how mm. a customer felt. If you can come back to say, look, these were the circumstances at the time, this is the knowledge we had. We acted with, as I said last week, if you act with integrity, you show empathy and show care, we've got the right level of governance and you capture what the real life was there, then what else could anybody do? Mm. You know, even came out whoever was to ask about it what could anybody else have done we tried to do the right thing and this is what was going on but yourself in your in these circumstances now what else could you have done i think documenting is really really key in those i like that i like that christian what were you going to say i was just going to say that <clears throat> there's a bigger prop to this whole uh, point as well about insurers which is that um <clears throat> over the last decade they've not been making much money and so there's been a shift in the last uh, few months and or year toward trying to actually start writing profitable business and so insurers have been pulling out of certain markets and lots of rates are going up because the market is hardening but because they haven't been making that much profit they've been uh, in many cases not all cases but you know trying to operate on on a, on a sort of paired back basis and strip back uh, headcount and so on and so forth. So mm. just like the HSE, if there's, if there's li limited funds, you know, you get fewer uh, uh, visits. It's exactly the same with, with the risk management uh, from an insurance perspective as well. The flip side to that though, is that I think everybody in the insurance industry agrees that because the market's hardening um, and because of what's been going on with, with COVID and stuff as well, I'm sure this will heighten that. Uh, good effective risk management is only the only real way you can actually plow ahead uh, both as an insurer and a business so I think there'll be a renewed focus on trying to improve all of those sorts of areas in the future um, hopefully with you know a bit more profit from the insurers so they can actually fund some of this activity a bit better mm, I like that I, th I think you're right in that, that you kind of in essence, what we are talking about here is that kind of is that risk management piece of a business, and it is and it and it is fundamental as well on how you managed it before. And this was what I was going to touch on a minute ago when I was saying about the, the safety two thing is that we were talking about capacity. So capacity in in its wider self from from a safety two perspective, but in in the way I kind of looked at it from thinking about it when we were going to come onto this call was like it's how you've managed your risks up until the point of covid depends on what well, defines how much capacity you have a business you have as a business to be able to absorb everything that's going on now so for example um a thing that keeps coming up in in my kind of world has been quite heavily involved in fire for the last year or so is that you get a lot of people saying oh we go with staff propping open fire doors so an old colleague of mine me messaged me dropped me a facebook message and was like they're propping open all my fire doors yeah, surely this is against the law and i was like well technically you know it's not against the law to prop open a fire door it's against the law for a fire door to not be shut when there's a fire um, so, you know, if we're going to talk about law and what's legally required, our capacity is not very much 
uh, or you're going to talk about like being compliant to the guidance we don't have a lot of capacity and at the moment we we have to be a bit creative or a bit like think outside the box in how we're going to manage this stuff we have to be a bit acceptable to 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 some stuff is not going to be we're not going to get that gold standard of managing risk so for example uh, i nearly said the fire service i don't want to mention the fire service but the the this one fire service came out a video saying how to manage fire doors and it was like do a fire risk assessment and keep them shut and i was like well it's not helpful for customers because they're trying to reduce touch points mm-hmm. there's got to be that kind of flexibility in this that capacity to be able to maybe alleviate some of our existing risk to mitigate Corona risk, for example. And that's and that's where um, going back to the insurance point, you should be trying to have these conversations with your insurer. And, and again, as John Jonathan mentioned, uh, recording the outcomes and stuff and, and agreeing them. Because actually, going back to your example, James, you know, if that were that, that, that case of the non-inspection were to lead to a claim and blah blah blah, and actually there should be a record of what's happened and the insurance company, you're going to have to come to some understanding with them. But I think going, you know examples like fire doors if you are going to start saying right we're going to prop them open just run that past your insurer and let them know about it and get their sign off for it because that's Mm -hmm. going to be helpful in the event of anything happening Uh, if you if you're a big enough company you've got a lawyer that you retain a law firm you retain run it past them as well or if you've got a primary authority or or something like that just get like sense check um that's not to say that you know you wouldn't you you, if, if if your primary authority said don't do it you may still decide to do it for, for very good reasons, but I think there are opportunities to uh, use organisations as sounding boards. Mm. I like that. Pick up on your point, James, about how you approach risk going into this. That, I, I agree that that's key. Uh, a lot of, in my experience, a lot of businesses approach risk in a very transactional way. So at a board level, it'll be, well, we've got these risk registers and once a quarter we'll sit and we'll look at them and it's all things and let's move on to the next and they gather dust. Uh, they tend not to be. They tend to be a disconnect between them and the reality of the operation, and they tend not to necessarily link even into business continuity, which I'll probably use the other side of the coin of risk. One, one's looking at what go wrong and how do we manage it, and the other one is it went wrong. What did we do? But I think if yeah. we, you've got a more transformation, if you've got a, a transactional approach to risk, then you will see it in a compliance setting and in a rules. You can't open the fire doors. Yes, we have to. No, we can't. And essentially, we've got internal models in the business because because we're being very transactional. If we have a more transformational approach to risk, so we we use it within our culture. We see we see, we have the agility of thinking and the adaptability. We understand principles. Then, what we're more likely to have is something that is 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 more naturally talked about across the whole organisation, and people understand what we're trying to achieve. And then if you take something like fire safety, rather than looking at the rules, if you take a hotel or a leisure centre, then most properties should have a fire strategy. And that fire strategy should talk about how this building was constructed, how it should be used, and how it would normally operate in the uses we put it to. Mm-hmm. So if you move it, then all of a sudden, you've now got slightly different uses. You know, you've now got people working at mm-hmm. home you've got different customer base whatever but if you take the nightingale hospital say at the nec yeah the nec yeah, the building's the, being repurposed yeah the fact repurposed so so if you're normally going to have conferences and live music and pyrotechnics or whatever in the nec the fire strategy will talk about you know we would have twenty thousand or ten twenty thousand people in there you know drinking alcohol at a gig 
or 10,000 people at a trade. Now we've got a very different scenario. So having that agility of thinking, you, you, you shouldn't be talking about, are we now going to keep the far door open or not? It's bigger than that. And, and so you involve different stakeholders in the conversation and you get different perspectives. And that communication then needs to involve the specialists, but it actually needs to involve the whole organisation, the people who understand what we're trying to achieve. So if risk is a looked at more strategically, more holistically, and if we start with the, the brand, the values, what the organisation is trying to achieve, whether it's public sector or private sector or whatever, if that's the starting point, everything flows from that, and, and because rules will change. If the, if the law changes, the government changes a different policy, then you've got to remember what the new laws are. If this is actually all mm. about people and about principles, it doesn't matter what the law is. It doesn't matter if you've got a hotel chain in Scotland or in England where the fire safety legislation might be slightly different. If this is something that has got people at the heart and customers at the heart with that right level of insights, actually, you, know, you, you take it to a winning mentality and you're not mm. worried about that. <clears throat> And actually, the law is, is almost irrelevant anyway, in that your care is reasonable practicality, isn't it? Mm. And, and, and t you know, have you done what a reasonable person would do? So actually, yeah. and it's all based on risk assessments anyway. So again, I think it's going back to creativity, but also um, tracking what you're doing, recording, you know, being able to, if the worst happens, being able to uh, explain why you did it and, and, and what the, you know. And, and, mm. I agree. I think that, that's always been my argument against people that say, you know, we, we want to be compliant. What is what is compliant to you? Like the, the law says be reasonable and be practicable. My idea reasonable and practicable will be completely different from you three. Um, so so compliance is, is, is like a mute argument, really. But you have those. It's interesting. And this is a, another kind of side question, actually. But thinking and listening to what you were saying, JD, there about so we, we we when you first came on a podcast we we had that conversation around compliance and i'm thinking again about that capacity piece is that you know we were in a we we're in a state of disrepair really from the management of fire safety as a nation across pretty much all industries um and when you're running at that kind of bare uh well capacity you, you, you run into the bare minimum you can you've got problems with your compartmentation you, your fire doors are not maintained your alarms 40 years old etc and we have been living in this kind of full sense of security i think outside of, of of management of fire safety but in everything a full sense of security that ain't nothing going to happen to us and then all of a sudden corona comes along we want to prop open fire doors we would normally mitigate that by saying we've got a really good alarm system but actually it turns out we haven't maintained it in 40 years so it, do, you, do you think my question is do you think this will change people's perspective on managing risk within their business after coronavirus because it'll make them more resilient for managing something like this they'll be able to take a big blow like a global pandemic or a big fire or something like do you get what i mean i think we're likely to see a bit more of a polarizing between uh, those again that were very transactional going into this and those that weren't so for organizations that were very transactional going into this that have rules-based risk registers gathering come back to what they think is the when they come back to what's the new normal i think they'll be going back to their old ways and 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 won't know what to do i think mm -hmm. it's the businesses that are transact that are more transformational that will be pivoting now yeah they will be looking at well 
what does this what have we learned what are we learning now what are we learning and how is this going to help us how can we get ready for the government's exit strategy when business comes back online again what what should we focus how can we prioritize and how can we involve our people in that and how can we get yeah, ready for what the new market is i think we'll see a polarizing between the two mm. interesting i'm actually using risk at all it's, it's it's something that's left to a risk manager or probably an internal audit team or a finance <coughs> mm. yeah I'll, I'll, i just add into that if you don't mind as well but people are on pause and there's this strange and we don't want to get too much politics involved in here but this came from a guy i know who lives outside this country and that britain as a country is a, still a socialist country and um, to an extent and that we believe that somebody else will sort it. We believe mm. that the government are there and supposed to sort out our problems and we're supposed to sort, and, and, they, and someone else will deal with it. And, and including business leaders, that the government will take care of us. Um, and it's exactly as JD was saying, change is, is a very challenging thing. It's very, very difficult. And even when you're up against it, people won't change. Uh, and it's, as they said, it's adapting and overcoming is what people need to do and take the matter into their own hands and not wait to go back to normal because there is no normal. That's, mm. not, that's not real. Um, uh, so there will be a level of inverted commas normality going back. But people need to use this this time to actually make change and, and to do something with it uh, personally um, and, and in terms of business leaders as well. That's interesting. I, I quite I quite like that. It, you know, we we are very much in a way. Now, I never would have said that before, but the second you said that, I was like, "Well, yeah, we are." Um, that's fascinating. Yeah. Do, do you do you think it will change? Sorry, Paul, just going. So from the same from the same this kind of the same question that was to to JD about how how we look and manage risk before this do you think that that same thing then applies to to how we manage mental health within ourselves and in our business as leaders etc to, to to enable us to be because these are really challenging times from a mental health point of view but as a business we need to be a lot more resilient to be able to absorb things like this do you think our perspectives on managing that would change as well and bear in mind we only have seven minutes left yeah, I mean, I'll just give it brief to let anyone else speak as well. But yeah, um, it, it, things have to change. Um, and, and the principle, as you know, that I always talk about is thoughts create feelings, feelings create actions, and actions will produce our results. So if the results need to change, then you need to change your thinking. People think that they think, they don't. The vast majority of people do not. They confuse mental activity with thinking. Most people haven't thought since they've been 18 or 21 or 22, since they left school. And thinking and, and reading and listening to podcasts, etc., is not that's not thinking. So critical thinking, thinking, changing, making changes, it takes a lot of energy in your brain, which is why we don't do it. The blood glucose, the brain uh, evolutionary were programmed so we don't do that. So we just run off habitual behavior. So if 99% of us is habitual and, um, and we'll keep doing the same old thing day after day, even when it's we know we should change, it will keep going on and on and on. So people need to start, start to recognize that and say that they need to push. And, and to answer your point a little bit more succinctly, in terms of the mental health, lower mental health will stop the chemicals flowing, the happy chemicals flowing. It'll make you feeling more low, make you less motivated, so even less likely to do what you need to do. 
So that's why mental health, or good mental health anyway, and, and the high mental well-being is so important in this particular time. Um, because it's directly linked to motivation, it's directly linked to coping mechanism, directly linked to your ability to make tough decisions and do what's necessary. We've all been there. I really need to do this, but I can't be bothered. And you just wait and wait and wait until, you know, <laughs> whatever it is basically on top of you. And then you think, do you know what? I better do that thing. We've all been there. Uh, and it's exactly the same principle. However, a lot worse mm. uh, nationally. Oh, government will sort it. So I don't need to do anything. In other words, somebody else will sort it. The boss will sort it. The shareholders will sort it. HSC will sort it. No. The buck stops with the individual. I like that. Yeah. And and I suppose the same question applies applies for cleanliness, Christian. And I think maybe even more so because cleanliness is such a huge control measure of this of this virus that Yeah. I, I think I've definitely been awoken to how dirty I was before. <laughs> Do you think that kind yeah, of think... Uh, opinions are going to change in the future? We've all known how dirty uh, you are. <laughs> um, no, I, I honestly think that, um, I mean, one of the reasons I mentioned before on the previous episode that I'm feeling quite positive about this whole thing overall is because I think that actually my message around cleanliness and, and hygiene and stuff will... Uh, now be much more prevailing than it was in the past and I, I can't see us going from uh, being in hygiene lockdown to accepting you know the, the poor standards of cleanliness that we see whether it be in an office a hotel a leisure club a shopping mall whatever it might be um, and that will obviously have a knock-on effect as well on the whole slips and trips piece because cleaner floors typically are safer floors so from that perspective I think you know we're going to see a huge improvement in the kind of environment that we're all living and working and operating in, um, mm. which clearly will have a benefit from a uh, disease prevention perspective, but will also help in terms of you know mental health because we all like cleaner, uh, tidier places to be in, uh, and all sorts of other risks as well. So I think you know from that perspective, it'll, it'll be a good thing. Mm. Right, gentlemen, we only have less than three minutes to go. So, but I think seeing as uh, we, we're probably going to not do this weekly from now on because we've got quite a lot of really good content on my podcast that I want to put out and I can't because I'm putting you guys out every week. Um, so we'll, we'll probably, I, I would personally like to continue this maybe like as a monthly installment, but we'll, we'll, we'll have that chat offline. But seeing as it is potentially the last one for, for now, I, I do think I should allow you three time to just just give your, your your businesses a little shout out. And seeing as Jonathan was cut off last week, I feel it's only right <coughs> that Jonathan goes first. So, Mr. Dempsey, uh, an introduction to yourself and a little plug uh, to Red Laces. Right, thank you. So, um, Jonathan Dempsey, Director of uh, Red Laces, a risk management consultancy that focuses on uh, ideally the strategic and holistic approaches to uh, interconnecting, whether it be food hygiene, health and safety, environmental management, safeguarding food and water, actually bringing an integrated approach to that, bringing some creativity and flair, and really embracing social and digital into the world of risk as well. Um, we can provide support and, and very much uh, echo what, what's been said by the gentleman here. Awesome. Uh, Mr. Harris, because you're underneath Mr. Dempsey on my screen, so you can go next. Uh, well, pr simply put, I help people to uh, improve 
the uh, hygiene and cleanliness and safety of their buildings, principally around floors in higher risk environments. So stopping slips, stopping people getting hurt, stopping insurance claims and producing clean and more hygienic environments. Uh, we also help right now with decontamination. So if anybody's got a need to either proactively decontaminate their buildings, perhaps once a week or something like that, or do something reactive um, as a result of a confirmed case, we can help with that too. Awesome. And has recently been uh, uh, included in the Entrepreneur magazine or, or website as well. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Mr. McQueen, you have one minute, 40 seconds. Perfect. Um, so I own my business, I run my business called DRM Group and pre-COVID-19 we work with businesses, individuals as well, but businesses up and down the length and breadth of the UK, help them with create better mental health, mental well-being, emotional well-being and increased performance within businesses. Um, and obviously more at the moment, which we've been doing anyway, we've done a lot more online work, so for anyone who's looking to get help with our businesses, individuals all the way up to multinationals, in that mental health space, um, coping mechanisms, motivation, productivity, etc. Then let me know. Thank you. Awesome. I've got like a minute spare. It's like the first time this has happened. We've, we've, <laughs> we've actually, but when you get below a minute on Zoom, it doesn't count down. I think that's a very yeah. clever way of getting you to buy pro because it will just cut off and you don't know. Yeah. And I think that's very good business. Yeah. That is very intelligent. Indeed. Right, gentlemen. Thank you very much. I've, I've enjoyed these weekly episodes. Thank you. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers, gents. Bye-bye. What's up, guys? I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, you know, a bit sad the last one just as we were getting used to it and we were in our stride and we were finally finishing on time within the 40 minutes um, but don't forget we're going to be coming back doing these panels once a month again so let us know what you want us to talk about if you've got any questions let us know let us know if you want to get involved as well um, that's annoying like I say that's the last episode of um, the, the weekly COVID panels we'll be going to back to our Monday um, release of of normal stuff you know normal interviews and me waffling on etc and um, we will continue to do the panels but we'll continue to do them probably once a month let me know what you think you want to hear a specific topic for us to discuss you got any questions etc let us know um, and yeah that's pretty much it don't forget to hit subscribe and, and all of that stuff if you're listening on youtube um if you're listening on itunes don't forget to give us a rate and review please and if you do it don't forget to screenshot it and let us know and if you can think of one person just one that's all i'm asking from you just one person that you could share this podcast with i would be eternally grateful to you and if you do one of those things whether you share it or whether you um, give us a rate and review, then screenshot it or tag us in the share and I will create you a handmade card and post it to you or something, maybe. I don't know. Let's just do it. If you do it, I'll see if I, if I fancy that. Um, on the flip side, I'll catch you next week in the podcast. Peace out. Say Hey everyone, just a quick message from our affiliate program. 
Using DRM's online course, you can learn to move away from feelings of anger and frustration and get yourself some lasting positive change. Click the link in the description of this episode to get yourself a discount. And thank you for listening to Rebranded Safety.